Good day, fellow listeners from all around the world. This is your host, James Jordan. And Michael Wallace. And we're coming at you on CKMS 102.7 Radio Waterloo, CFMH 107.3 Local FM, and Performance Motorsports Network. Recorded for the week of July 10th, 2022. And this is the 19th episode of the fifth season of the WAMS podcast. We got a special oh, yeah. one for y'all today. Yeah, we have Jeff Brown, who is an engineer in IMSA for Core Autosport. Uh, won this past couple weekends ago at CTMP with his son Colin, who drives for the team, and John Bennett, the team owner. Uh, this is a great interview. We talk a ton of sports car racing. We talk nascar uh short track racing with alan kuwicki and uh, it's it's awesome i i think the short track guys are going to like this one because there's a ton of parallels between uh what they do in imsa and how they set up the car they run right now and uh, i think i think you guys will appreciate the stories and and it was a good conversation right. i look forward to it here we go well, welcome to another interview on the wide world of motorsports. Today we have um, a treat, uh, an engineer that I heard an interview with on a podcast and just immediately uh, whatever struck a chord with me. And this, uh, he's an, a championship winner, he's a Daytona 24-hour winner, uh, everything under the sun, Jeff's done it, so this Jeff... Brown, welcome, Jeff, to the show. Hey, thank you, Michael, for having me. I really look forward to it. I'm glad we got together at, uh, I was going to say Mossport. It's still Mossport to me, but Canadian yeah. Tighter Motorsports Park a couple weeks ago, and it was good seeing you again, and um, thanks for the invite to be on the show. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, um, thanks for being here. You know, uh, just a little history between you and I. Uh, Jeff and I, of course, had never met, and um, I, at the time, just a racing fan. Uh, after, like I said, I heard this interview and just, it just kind of became, you know, very interested in your career, uh, so to speak. <laughs> you know, I listened, uh, and of course, I'm referring to Dinner with Racers. And uh, you, your, your interview, and then the the side interview of Level Five. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm gonna say I've probably listened to both equally about six or seven times. <laughs> so I sought Jeff out the one year, the few years back, and every year since I made a point to go come say hi. And you've always been super generous uh, with with your time. No, no problem. It's uh, it's always fun talking to people knowledgeable about racing, and and you are certainly that way. And I have to say, you know, we get to travel all over the country, and and the the Canadian fans in general. Maybe it's not proper to generalize, but boy, it's super super knowledgeable about the details of of sports car racing and i'm assuming all racing but mm -hmm. man the, the fans ask some really good questions and some really you know they really dig into the the technical side of it as well so it's, it's always fun to, to get to spend a little bit of time with the canadian fans well that's great to to hear actually and that that you enjoy that side of it um Let's talk a little bit about sports cars because that's where we saw you last at CTMP. Mm -hmm. uh, you were with Core Autosports. You've been with this team for uh, how many years? 
Um, let's see, since about 2016, 15, 2015. Wow. Yeah, okay. So. Wow. So, so you've been doing that and you've kind of aligned along with your son, Colin, uh, yep. a little bit. I know there was a time Colin was there and you were at, uh, at, um, speed level torch five. or was uh, that level a little four? bit level five for a while and then about a year about 18 months at speed source when mm. we ran the mazda diesels and yes. then went from there to um to core yeah 2015 i think it was so yeah i ran the lmpc cars with core that's and yeah the, and then in 17 we ran the gtd porsche gt3 yeah. car yeah and then 18 went to the orica lmp2 um so let's then 19 yeah let's talk about that car right there because that car okay. was a was a unique car in that it was a you buy it and then yeah. run it <clears throat> and you exactly. ran it against teams that had factory support and factory development and yeah. uh you guys won with that car yeah. what yeah what was the uniqueness to that car that allowed an underfunded team with respect yep. uh yep. compared to you know a cadillac supporting wayne taylor or or, or another team like that uh right what allowed for that that you could compete well we it's interesting because that was the year they called the class prototype it was daytona prototype and they allowed the lmp2 cars in to race against the like you said the factory prototypes and the idea was was to performance balance the Daytona prototypes to the speed of the LMP2s. Right. So that everything would be equally equal performance. The LMP2 performance was going to be the benchmark. It's a homologated, very tightly homologated car. So there's no... Um, Can you describe that? Because I think maybe some of our stock car listeners might not understand what homologated means. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's kind sorry of on a tangent. <laughs> no, 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 it's good. Uh, unique to sports car racing is the FIA, which is the sanctioning body for that oversees Formula One and sports car racing worldwide. Yeah, they will require the manufacturer to present the design of the car and then the actual car to them, and homologated is basically frozen design. In other words, ah. here's how the car's made. There's pictures. There's 120 pages of, in a homologation document that shows every aspect of the car, every suspension component, every adjustment, every everything, swing designs, and all of that. And okay. once it's homologated, you're not allowed to change it. And mm. what it does is it keeps the cost within reason. Otherwise, you would have these teams producing it would be like formula one you'd have new wings right. new floors every weekend at tremendous costs new suspension they homologate these cars or basically freeze the design for a period of four or five years and that way the teams basically have a car that they adjust you're still doing camber caster toe wing angles suspension shock absorber adjustments all of that but you're not designing new parts every weekend with and so our lmp2 car was homologated and the right. performance then is going to stay pretty much the same you know you're not going to make a big leap because you found some great aerodynamic thing that you unlock right and the idea was then to 
balance all of the factory Daytona prototypes, which are a little bit more open in their rules and their development, mm -hmm. to balance those to the LMP2 performance. And they started out doing that quite well in 2018. And yep. the LMP2 cars weren't quite competitive with the factory cars. And that was kind of what you would expect, right? The factory yeah. spending a lot of money, pro drivers. We had Colin as a pro and John Bennett as a team owner, who's a yep. very, very good um, bronze or silver rated driver, but he's not a pro. He'll be the first right. to admit that. Yeah, but he is one of the best bronze and gentleman drivers, what you have call him in the paddock for sure, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he would have to start these races in 2018 against you pick it Dane Cameron, Juan Montoya, Castor Nevis, uh, Ricky Taylor. And, and then he would jump out. Colin would jump in and Colin would run against Philippe Albuquerque, Nasser, Durrani. You pick the guy, you know? Yeah. So, so anyway, our car, we got better and better with our car and the setup and all of that we did um you know we're a, a small team we don't have factory driver in the loop simulators and things like that had a, a, re, a really good friend of mine andrea quintarelli who is a good simulation guy doing simulation work for us um for free because he's a buddy and he just enjoyed it nice and so that's the kind of stuff we did we got all of our friends together and did the best we could and suddenly that's awesome we started we i mean the first race we won was at um canadian tire and we won that race on performance yeah and then we went to the next race at road american won that race yeah um on fuel mileage and then suddenly we're like right in the championship hunt with a with a amateur bronze rated driver and a, a little team from rock hill south carolina and yeah. we just kept pushing with it and it got to the point where imsa actually had to limit our performance because mm -hmm. the daytona prototypes couldn't keep up right and what they did is they they said they weren't going to but they restricted they had to restrict us in some way and they restricted us on fuel capacity and took right. about five liters of fuel capacity away with away from us in the last race and that was the championship decider and <laughs> so it turned out that the the cadillac didn't have to make a splash pit stop at the end and we did because we didn't have the mileage and they beat us by one position and won the championship but it was fun to give the factories a fight with a little privateer team and that orica was a fantastic car i mean it it, it still is today i mean it dominates lmp2 still today and it's yes. a fun car a fun car but um and then basically for 2019 they said yep no longer we're not allowing that anymore p2s are going to be in their own class out of dpi and and that's when john bennett decided to try to continue in dpi and and took the nissan program over yes uh, in 2019 it was so that okay so that's great i remember the p2 and that i remember that when it was actually a background of mine for a long time i believe it was colin in the car um coming out of three to four there down just yep. before moss it was a great little shot uh I thought it was great. I think you're being modest. I think you guys made such a big enough stink that that the factories um, 
they they I mean they, they, let's be honest they 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 whined and complained about it and and they right. sometimes pay the bills so so people have to listen so let's that is what it is um yeah. and you guys moved on and fought hard with the Nissan now the Nissan was not a factory car it no. was uh the engine was out of the Nissan GTR the GT3 Correct. car uh so Correct. that was an old that is an old engine because that car is is very old in Nissan stable and put it into a yep. car that I'm I don't know what platform that ran on like whose chassis that was it would have had to have been one of the four yeah that was a Liger Liger LMP2 car which yeah okay with all respect to Liger they're great friends of mine but mm. that they'll be the first to admit that was not the LMP2 car to have right so yeah, so, well, yeah, we, we yeah we saw that with with a couple one other team that ran with the Ligier and it just didn't it wasn't yeah, enough competitive. competitive yeah. yeah. So what were what were the biggest because you guys did make that car? I did. Did you win in that Nissan? No, no but no. back to CMTP, we um we qualified on pole with that. That was the only pole we had that year. That's right. And so that's yep, promise. Yeah. So yeah, well, what did you do to get to that? Thing, yeah. Well, so a little background, we got the car and because now IMSA didn't have to balance the performance to the LMP2 cars, what they did the, that year that year, really, 2018, the, the car that was holding everything back was the Mazda. So it was, it was basically unleashed everything as fast as it could go. And then they balanced the other, the Cadillac and the Acura back to that performance. And the LMP2 car was a little bit, our LMP2 was a little bit faster than the Mazda. So that got kind of messed up. Was that the then, sorry? Was that the old Mazda, the yes. the, the Lola, the Lola. Chassis yeah. one? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So then for nineteen, Mazda got the new chassis and whatever upgrades they needed. The Mazda performance to go up because they needed the whole class to go up. So they told Mazda, "Do what you need to make the car better." They they spent a lot of money. They made it better. Mm-hmm. Now the performance level of the whole class was up. The problem is now the Nissan was the lagger so we had everything we had whatever power we could run whatever aerodynamics whatever as light as we could get it what and yeah the problem was after every race imsa does a big performance analysis of the car's sector times top speed all of that simulations and comes up with a new balance of performance for the next weekend based and so Every weekend, it was turning out we needed to be 40 kilos lighter. And we were already 20 kilos over the minimum weight. And they wanted us 40 kilos under the minimum weight to be competitive. And we just, you can't do that. There's no place to take 40 kilos out of that. You're just, you're at, you're at it. We had all the ballast out. We had every, every lightweight component we could come up with. We had lightweight body work made. We had everything we could do to get down to as light as we could. Wow. And we just couldn't, That's couldn't amazing. do it. Yeah. They gave us more power. 
that motor makes some pretty serious power. And mm. so we were fastest car in a straight line, but just about the slowest car in the medium to high speed corners because aerodynamically that car suffered pretty bad. So like overall so, sorry, overall aerodynamics or was there an area in, in the aerodynamics? Cause I'd say it wasn't the prettiest car on the grid. No, no it was <laughs> not. You're being kind. Yeah. Um, uh, it was, so the real thing was efficiency. Oh, so we okay. could, we could trim it out and go quick in a straight line, but then it had no downforce relative to the others. Right. Or we could put as much downforce in it to match the others. And then it was slow in a straight line. So it was just efficiency. It, 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 it wasn't, we just weren't going to get there without yeah. a big redesign. And so and that's not worth and and they wouldn't allow it and it was expensive and you know we weren't a factory it, yep. it was a nissan but it was john bennett paying for every penny of that there was no help from nissan and and nissan didn't pretend you know it, they didn't go in saying we'll help you and then they didn't no they said fine great run our car but we have no help here for you if you mm. want to run it go ahead and they tried to support it a little bit technically right uh from you know some help from from they would send one guy from japan each weekend to represent the the effort but really we were on our own and and the car and imsa struggled to to make us competitive and we were flat out as fast as we could go and we just couldn't we couldn't compete so that's interesting. So we went to Mossport or Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, <laughs> more correctly. Uh, when we went there in 19, we kind of, uh, we were struggling for sure, but we had, we it's Colin's favorite track for sure. We've always been good there in everything we've run. Um, yes, I would, yeah, five so, wins. I mean. Right, right. And I think he has four poles maybe. And it's, 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 it was our one place where we thought, okay, if we got a chance to do something out of the ordinary, here it is. Mm-hmm. So that in those days, the qualifying driver had to start the car. That was IMSA's rule. Yeah. So what we would often do is qualify Colin, then change drivers. Mm-hmm. And the penalty for changing drivers is starting at the back of your class which to be honest is where John Bennett would have qualified anyway against all the other pros. So, so we said, well, let's just qualify Colin, see how it goes. We'll put a big effort in for qualifying. The crew needs a little boost. uh, Team needs a little boost. Let's see what we can do. And we pulled out the stops for that qualifying effort in 19 with the Nissan. And if anybody goes back and looks at those laps, it was, I mean, literally the rear wheels were off the ground at the crest of turn two as he turns in rear wheels off the ground he lands the thing bounces Mm. it was a pretty spectacular lap and this year they broke it but only by i don't even think it was i think it was six tenths or something like that yeah so it was it was good lap but that was it seems sad to say that was the highlight of our year really was the pole there but at least we did that yeah, but you you think about, you know, you say 
they they beat it this year but like there's a big technology gap between when that car that car in general i mean that's a dinosaur compared to where we're at so that's that is amazing uh yeah i know you guys did get some flack for 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 doing that you, at Watkins Glen, it was a real big deal because it was the six hours, and then you would hear right. about it. Um, you know, they they changed the rule. You they they didn't like it. They let it go for two years because we would do that quite often. Yep. And they were like, "Well, the pole, we have to now explain on TV why the pole sitter is not starting first, and they didn't like to explain it. So finally, they made a rule where. Mm you can do that now, but it's a drive-through penalty uh, if you do that. So you can start, mm. you can change the starting driver, but you, I, I believe in DPI, it's a drive-through penalty. In LMP3 and LMP2, it's flat against the rules. You have to qualify your bronze driver. It's required. You can't yeah. qualify your bronze. And that's the whole in the spirit of, of what those classes are are designed right. for uh exactly so let's let's go into lmp3 because that's what you ran there right uh this pa- this two weekends ago now from time right. of recording uh yeah. there was a some hesitation about having the lmp3s come into the big class mm-hmm. um Many people thought it was going to be for maybe a season, and then it would. I, I think IMSA was worried losing PC and P2, and they needed car count, so they just threw it in there. Uh, yeah. I know they. I know they run it in the ELMS, uh, but then yeah. again, those P2s are not DPIs; they're very different. Uh, they run yeah. at very different tracks. So, what is? Why did John? go with the the lmp3 and not a a gt car because he he has experience in those what 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 did he like about it well so in when lmpc was um canceled Mm -hmm. after many years of running lmpc and those were really good cars and was a good you know they were pretty quick a matter of fact the p3 car the first time we've beaten the lmpc lap times with the p3 car yeah. was two weeks ago in Canada. Really? It's been slower. Yeah, the P3 cars have been slower than the LMPC cars up until then. It's the first time we've seen them. Yeah. So when those went away, LMP2 was just kind of coming in and John wasn't sure and nobody was really sure what LMP2 was going to be like. And so he went with a Porsche GTD car because Core was running the Porsche GTLM factory effort at the time. So it kind of made sense, you know, we just kind of kept it in the family. And it was, uh, John, he, he, after driving prototypes for five years, the GT car was not as fun. Right. It just wasn't as cool. So in 18, he decided to go LMP2 racing, loved the car. Yeah. But then they banned, they banned that out of the, uh, out of the you know, they did it its own class and we didn't know whether it was going to be one car, two cars or whatever. Yeah. So that's why he got the Nissan. And then the Nissan, we talked about the problems there. Yep. Basically, IMSA came to us and said, yeah, do whatever you want. Well, that was going to be millions of dollars for redesigned aerodynamics and all that. And we didn't have a factory behind us. So yep. privateer can't afford that. So John was kind of stuck. So he actually quit um, yep. for 
2020. He was like, I don't know what to do. And so he stopped racing. I know. I remember that was upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, none of us liked it. And so 2021 rolls around and they offer P3. And we all looked at that and went, wow, this is like the new LMPC. It's a gentleman driver and a pro driver in a modern prototype. We all like the fact that they were enclosed and not, you know, open cockpit, you know, yeah. so they're safer, um, kind of a worldwide formula. Like you said, ELMS. Um, yep. yep. And so we decided to do LMP3 and it worked out. I think it's a really good class. It's, uh, you know, uh, some people will complain that the maybe some of the driving standards aren't quite up to what they should be. And I won't disagree with some of that um, mm-hmm. because the car is I was going to say affordable in racing terms, it's affordable. It's still not cheap, but yep. in racing terms, it's affordable. Some drivers who run in the IPC series, which is the support series where GT, I mean, where LMP three cars are run. Yes. They maybe move up a little too soon to the weather tech series. They don't have multi-class experience with super fast cars and then GT cars. And I think you'll see IMSA probably look at, um driver standards or driver experience before they just allow a, a inexperienced driver in a WeatherTech P3 car right but from but from the class standpoint the cars are really good they're reliable they're good um endurance cars they're fun to drive and they're i don't know pick the number half the cost to run of an LMP2 car. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's a big step. I mean, especially when you're flipping the bill, uh it makes sense to to go with something like that. I can I can get it. So, because again, this is a homologated car uh, as we as you spoke to earlier what homologation is. Uh yep. what are the areas within this LMP3 car, you guys run the Ligier JSP, throw in a couple numbers. 20, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, we at CTMP, the Andretti Autosport, they set the pole. They got disqualified for uh, an unapproved part, which was a spring. I heard, um, so they so obviously there's things that you can work within or you're allowed to change and move around. So what are some of those things that you can to to improve to beat the other team because you're looking for the edge all the time. Right. So it 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 actually makes it quite fun because you know that the other team doesn't have something that you don't have. They right. have the same shock absorbers they have the same wings they have the same wheels they have the same brakes so it comes down to the driver and the engineer adjusting the car to handle the way they want it to handle so suspension alignment things camber caster toe uh, ride height you can adjust then you can adjust your wing settings you can adjust your uh, spring rates all around the car you can adjust um, your anti-roll bar stiffness, front okay. and rear. Right. And then these prototype cars have a thing called a third spring. I was going to ask about that, yeah. 
Yeah, well, so it's kind of a the way for everybody to think about it is a normal race car has four springs and those control the vertical stiffness when it goes up and down and also the roll stiffness when it rolls in a corner. Mm -hmm. The third spring sits in between the two main springs on each axle, but it mechanically gets decoupled in roll. So it only affects the vertical stiffness of the car. And so why do you want that? Hmm. You want that because in a high downforce car, you have to control the downforce on the straightaways as it pushes the car down. And to keep the car from bottoming out on the straightaways, you normally have to run stiffer springs. So it doesn't push. So, so it resists the downforce of the car pushing down on the car. So it doesn't right. hit the ground. But what that does is that detracts from the grip the car makes in the corners because softer yeah. springs tend to make more grip. Yep. So the third spring controls the vertical stiffness of the car, but yet you can still have softer springs for the roll in the corners. Wow. I, yeah. I've never had it described to me like that, and I've always had that question about you know watching a formula one car and i'm thinking they have so much pressure pushing them down how and then you see them a shot in the corner and you know their their a-arms everything's just all cockeyed and you're like well where did that come from that you didn't see that you know at 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 baku where they've gone down the street so that was a really good explanation sorry continue no no but so so that's how the third spring works and it's it just affects vertically, not roll. So we can adjust the, the LMP3, LMP2, all the modern prototypes have this third spring element, one in the front and one in the rear, and we can adjust the spring rate on that. The, there's some gaps where we have bump rubbers that engage and things like that. So you, quite a bit. You can, so you have a third spring on the front and the rear. In the rear, right. There's one for each axle. So it's so you can wow so you can because obviously you're going to want the rear to be stiffer because it's heavier with the engine i I just wow i've you know i kind of feel like an idiot for not knowing that but like wow that's incredible so no but i I think about this too like the front third spring when you put the brakes on the front dives down right yeah well you could stiffen your front third spring so it doesn't dive down as much so it and the the splitters on those cars the nose part underneath the the floor of the front yeah is very sensitive aerodynamically so it changes the amount of downforce it makes based on the height off the road right so by using the third spring to control that height or the change in that height you're changing the aerodynamics yeah the same thing in reverse when you put the gas on coming out of moss corner and you're just flat in it and accelerating the rear squats well you can control how much it squats based on the stiffness of that third spring yeah you want it to squat more and put the better traction you can soften that third spring but then at the end of the straightaway going into turn eight the bottom of the car might be scraping right so those are the kind of things that you can do in a homologated car Instead, in your mind just changes. Instead of going, wow, we need to be faster. We need more downforce. We'll design a new wing. No, you go, okay, so how can we get the car lower 
keep it lower, not make it change so much, put some wing in it, but not make it so draggy. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe we put some wing in it for turn one, two, three, and four at CTIMP. But then we soften the rear third element to get the wing to, to let the rear ride heights go down on the straightaways right. and pull the wing out of the air. You know, so we put more yeah. wing in it for the wow. corners, but let the car sag down and the wing get lower. Basically, stall, it, stall itself out, basically. Kind of, um, or more just like the element. Like if you picture the wing at an angle, yeah. then you tip the whole car. You oh, you're just bringing it down. It just less drag. Down. Yeah, okay. Less drag. Exactly. Exactly. So what I like about what what I'm hearing and and because you did spend some time around oval racing is that yep. this is something that you know uh, a late model guy would be doing right they, what are they they're not going to go rebuild uh they're not going to go totally redesign their car they're going to work on wedge or they're going to work on sway bars they're going to work on stagger exactly. they're going to work on the car to make it better instead of just relying on somebody to design something better because that's just not how it works exactly it's i've done a lot of short track stock car racing and i've done them a, f a fair amount of NASCAR stuff. And, and then Colin drove for Jack Roush in NASCAR yep. for four years. Um, I remember a good example is they'd go to Talladega or Daytona with the NASCAR trucks. And it was all about getting the spoiler out of the air, running soft enough rear springs <laughs> to get the back of the car way down so that that big spoiler that they had on the rear deck wasn't yeah. up in the air. That really? was all about that was how you went fast at Daytona and Talladega in a NASCAR truck and the cup cars and Xfinity cars were the same thing in back in that day. So, so tuning, tuning things don't, your mind goes, instead of designing something different, it goes, how can I tune it to get what I need? Right. Well, and that's, that's, uh, a, I think that's more of a, a racer mentality. I think maybe that's more of a, a, a North American racing attitude a little bit you know there's yep. there is that that there is a very different uh, atmosphere you see it in the races you see it in and i'm just kind of referring to sports car racing and for right now but um and you always hear the european guys that come over and they say oh it's so friendly it's so open it's so nice but we have that rough door-to-door short track racing like we saw it i know we keep referring to it just because it's the 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 most current i know we're going to see it probably at lime rock some door banging but we saw it at ctmp they just these guys are leaning on each other and they're running flat out and yeah it's yep. it's late model i mean that's yeah exactly i mean that's what we want to see right so i'm an yeah. engineer it should be like I, people think i should be super about the technical side of it and that's all that matters and stuff like that. Heck no. I want to watch good races. I want to watch drivers yeah. race against other drivers. I don't want to see the car determinant. I want to see the drivers and see their skill come through when I watch a race and see how one yeah. guy sets another guy up or how he races him or how he makes him wear his tires out so he can pass them with, you know, three laps to go because he has better tires. And I like to see the 
the humans element of the sport um, more so than the technical side of it. So I don't want, you know, okay, I watch Formula One and, you know, it's interesting and everything, but do I, how do I know whether, you know, how good really is, I don't know, back a year ago, how did we know if George Russell was good or not? He was in a Williams and now he's in a Mercedes. Did he just suddenly figure out how to drive over yeah. the winter? Right. No. I mean, it's so this whole spec or homologated or tightly restricted technical part of racing, mm-hmm. I think is pretty cool. You know, I get I can watch an IndyCar race and I know that that Alex Pelot doesn't have a whole lot different machine than Joseph Newgarden has. Right. And and I was actually just going to bring those that up as a as a perfect example of um, single make other than engines and i believe they're still allowed to play around with shocks or something but right. um they're they're the same cars and they it's amazing racing they're it's close battle racing again i look at nascar nascar is a single make car and right. the yes we've had some snoozers i i know there's things they're working on um and uh but the cars create a good racing actually thinking about that right there i'm i was thinking about this question earlier today and i'm curious what your Mm -hmm. thoughts are on it why are race fans so quick to discount judge or toss away something new i will use the cup car the current generation, the new one of, of cup, it has had some amazing races. It has brought some tracks that were snoozers back to life. And it has clearly shown some issues in some other areas. And people are just, they're not happy, but why? And I see that in other sports, you know, when formula one went to V sixes, when, uh, you know, they talked about, uh, getting rid of well getting rid of gtlm and you know all these changes why do race fans quickly jump to conclusions and not give it a chance that's really a good question and maybe it's just i don't know human nature that people get comfortable with what they know and what they like and they and something new is different and they're like it it kind of um, I don't know, makes them nervous or uncomfortable with what, you know, this is different. I, I don't know if I like this. Right. It might just be that because we're about to see that in IMSA next year when the, what they're calling GTP, the new yes. LMDH cars come in with the hybrid systems and stuff. It's going to be different. Yeah. It's going to be very different. And the next gen cup car is, is different, but, but I don't know. I've uh, Colin's been he's been coaching some NASCAR drivers in road courses and yep. going to some of these races. And, you know, he says the car looks pretty cool. And it's I think so. Yeah. And, you know, it's more it's more of a road racing car. It's more of a you know, it's kind of like a front engine GT. Yeah. Three, whatever, you know, it's got a, you know, it's got a transaxle and it's got, uh, 
you know, big, big wheels and single lug nuts and, uh, well, it stepped up to where supercars is right now, right? Yeah. right? And v- yeah, the Aussie supercars, it's a sequential yep. shifter. And, uh, you know, I just watched highlights from the race they just had this past weekend. And I mean, again, uh, the cars aren't homologated and well, they're homologated, but they're not all identical, but like right. that was amazing racing. Um, the cup car is interesting. It's, it is like a, it is more of a traditional touring car from what, what right. we would say. And I think people hate, I've spoken to some NASCAR guys and I've called NASCAR a touring car series. And, um, that was, <laughs> they didn't like, no, they didn't like that, but I was like, no, but it, and I don't mean that in a rude way, but it is, it's, right. a, it's, it's, a tour those are road cars and tour cars but anyways um i think some of our listeners would be upset with me if i didn't ask you about alan and 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 i, I want to know you know how did you get linked up with alan because i don't know i think you spoke about it i don't remember but it, i think our listeners would be interested in how how a sports car guy apparently ran with the yeah. under, uh, ran with the underbird yeah well so alan kawicki and i grew up coincidentally near milwaukee wisconsin um we met at the go-kart track i was racing go-karts alan was about four years older than me i think three or four years older than me so we were at the go-kart track the local track near milwaukee i was racing in the junior category he was in the next step up i was racing in the rookie category so like the eight to 12 year olds and he was in like the 12 to 16 year old class and i we knew him and I don't remember the exact details, but somehow, well, he was struggling to get to the go-kart track because his dad, Alan's dad built engines for USAC stock cars at the time. And they were, USAC was a, was actually a strong series competing kind of against NASCAR at that time. And, and Alan's dad was one of the best engine builders for, of, of, stock cars in in the midwest and so he knew about racing but alan's dad didn't really want alan to be a racer because he knew how hard that life was and it was a struggle and it was you know he he always had dreams of a better life for alan you know become an engineer and (laughs) and go to college and do that move to evolve texas right yeah so (laughs) alan was um he kind of figured out a way to get a go-kart and and go go-kart racing and his dad would help a little bit but not really much and so so anyway it ended up being where we started and i don't know why my dad took a liking to alan for whatever reason and we were like hey we're going by your house we'll come and pick your go you and your go-kart up and we'll take you to the go-kart races on sunday when we go That's so cool. and so we started just kind of joined up and helped out and got to know Alan that way. And then when Alan turned 16, maybe he had to be 18. Can't remember. Anyway, when he could go to stock cars at the first time, there was dirt tracks around. They were just like dirt tracks and you ran. They weren't very fancy late models. They had a couple classes. I think they had a sportsman class, which is basically, um, you know, like a modified street car that right. you took. And then they had a, like a real late model class, which were built, purpose-built late models. Mm-hmm. 
And Ellen and I were like, Ellen was old enough to go do it. And we were like, wow, we should build a, a sportsman car and go out to Hales Corners in, in Wisconsin and go race on the Saturday nights. And That's awesome. Like, yeah, but we don't have enough money. How are we gonna, you know? <laughs> and my dad was like, okay, well, I'll chip in, I don't know, a thousand bucks. <clears throat> he got um, the local Chevy dealer where my dad bought his cars every so often and to, to put in 500 bucks and paint the name of the dealer on the back of the car. Mm-hmm. Ellen and I went to a junkyard and we dug around and we found a 68 Camaro and we got some books from, uh, I can't remember HP. I don't know. There were some books that showed you how to hot rod engines and we bought some cams That's and we awesome. put our own That's can so in cool. it. We welded the roll cage in it, me and him, and we went racing and um and then it took off from there a little bit and we did pretty good and then we got a chance to go asa racing or we thought we could go asa racing which was the american speed association and it was a very popular midwest short track series yeah that you know guys like rusty wallace mark martin allen dick trickle um came out of that series and then you had the all pro series which was in the south which guys like uh junior hanley well hanley was from canada yeah he came out of that he raced asa quite a bit um um butch lindley Mm -hmm. um sterling marlin the wall trips all those guys raced in all pro so those were like two competing late model series same same late model rules same rules yep yep you could they they had a big race at the end of the year called the all-american 400 in nashville where basically both series came together oh and gosh. raced against each other. That would have I mean, been amazing. What a party. <laughs> look, up, look up that in at a time. I mean, we I remember with Alan starting, I don't know, in the qualifying the top two or three, but you looked around and it was, you know, it was those guys. It was Alan and Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace and wow. uh, Sterling Marlin and uh, Daryl Waltrip and uh, Butch Lindley and Junior Hanley would come down. Bob Seneker, Butch Miller. I mean, it was heavy hitters, heavy so, short yeah. track hitters. Yeah. So we did that for, I remember one year we ran 68 races, I think. We had a box van, Ellen and I. Oh my yeah. Goodness. And we would, we had a trailer and we would spend. And, and maybe I'm exaggerating this, but over the years, it kind of, you know, the story. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'll keep telling it. Um, we would sleep three nights in the box van and then get a hotel room the fourth night and then three nights in the box van and the hotel room. And we would work on the cars in hotel parking lots on the way to the next race. I'm sure they love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because back in those days, especially in the winter, we would go to Florida and you could race every, you know, you could race Wednesday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. And so we would just run a, uh, a show on a Wednesday night, work on the car Thursday, and then go race Friday at a track, Saturday at a different track, and Sunday at a different track. And you were, you were racing for 500 bucks to win a feature. And, you know, you'd go run your qualifying, you'd do your trophy dash, you'd 
if you could transfer directly into the main, you do the main. And by 10 p.m., you're in the pay window to collect your money and off to the next one. So were you guys making enough money to to afford to do this with the racing or were you trying to work in a job at the same time? No, we didn't have a job. We were fortunately we were good enough where we could get not real sponsorship, but product. So late model racing was huge all over the country and we were racing ASA, which was the top of it. Mm -hmm. So if we had um, Carrera shocks on our car and we were doing good, Carrera would sell more shocks to the local short track guys because Alan Kowicki runs Carrera shocks, you know? So, so we got free shock absorbers. We got free engines from prototype engine. They were a big engine manufacturer at the time or builder at the time. Prototype gave us engines. We would get super good deals on chassis because, you know, if we could win with that, they would sell more chassis to the local short track guys. Really? And so we, could make enough money to afford to buy gas, tires, the occasional motel room, and things like that. And the rest of it, we got given to us for free. We weren't making any money. We weren't saving anything. (laughs) You were were surviving. Yeah, we were, and we were racing, man. Yeah, that's all. Cool job, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, who who wouldn't want to travel around, I mean, I can imagine lots right. of people not want to, but I would love to. I mean, it would be the best summer <laughs> of my life. Right, right. So we did that, and it was um, what we learned a lot. We and Alan was, you know, Alan was a he he did go to college engineering, got his engineering degree. I went to college, got my engineering degree. We would have these great conversations that would last. A specific conversation could last a month. And it would be on uh, steering geometry. And we would talk about it. And then we would stop and do something else. And then he'd pick up the phone a day later and not like, hey, Jeff, how's it going? It would be just like, you know, I don't think that's enough Ackerman. It's just not. We got to run more Ackerman in that steering. And I'd be like, no, I don't think so. We should do this and that. But like, okay, I got to go. And then that's I'd pick so up the cool. phone a day later. And it just... You know, we just love doing that stuff. And I learned a lot from him and I'd like to think he learned something from me. And no doubt. And it was a, it was a good collaboration and uh, it was a, it was a fun time. And we learned a lot about, you know, about racing in general and stuff that, you know, years, years, years later, I went IndyCar racing as an engineer and ran cars in the Indy 500 and lots of ovals and stuff. And a lot of those lessons, you know, for, for anybody out there listening that's running short tracks of any kind, those lessons apply. I don't care what kind of, you know, it applies to an NASCAR cup car. It applies to um, formula cars, you know, tilt and wedge and caster stagger and, you know, tire stagger and all the things that, you know, it's, it's just physics. It applies yeah. no matter what you're working on. And it's the same stuff. And uh, the one, the one thing I notice big difference is just the terminology between mm-hmm. between what's what. Because I in my i racing league that I do, uh, Mayhem Racing League, I have to shout it out. Uh, we have a short track guy, and we'll talk about setups, and he'll say something, and I, I'm like, I, I what, what is that? And and he'll he'll 
say a different name and i'm like well just keep it simple right. why you gotta be so complicated but um, right right it's it, it'll i mean colin when we talk with the lmp3 car mm. yeah it's pushing loose it's not understeer and oversteer um but i like that you know it's just you know it's it's america you know it's yeah North exactly it's, it's what we do yeah um but there's you know, okay, instead of wedge, you'll run some cross weight in a, in a yeah. road race car. Yeah. Same thing. It's just the same thing. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, but a lot of people, especially guys running like local, you know, maybe not professional racing. And they think, oh, well, what I'm doing is not relevant. Don't kid yourself. What you're doing is absolutely relevant to what the pro guys are doing. That, that car works, you know, your little, sportsman or street stock car on an oval that's that's gravity and centrifugal force and centers of gravity and vehicle dynamics apply it doesn't change you know the, right. the way that uh that mass and and movement and kinetics work don't change um based on what car you have they uh, you're being affected by the same thing right so what, when you went late model racing or ASA racing, what was your favorite challenge about the car and track? So when you would show up to maybe a track that you had no note, notebook on, which would, I would assume would have been all, if not most, like many, if not all of them. Yep. What part of it is you working a setup? And what, how much of it is Alan driving? Like, is it maybe, cause you would hear that in the olden days more where drivers would, now we adjust cars to drivers before drivers used to adjust to cars, right? They would, well, maybe I need to, I can't do that with the car. The car now it's like, well, I want it to do that. And if it doesn't do it, they complain on the radio and say the car is rubbish. Um, <laughs> so, you know, That's is it 50 50 is it and I, i'm assuming alan would have been a different driver in the sense he had uh, more of an engineering uh, prowess to to his driving style i would say he would have been a more of a, a calculated driver instead of a, a, a maybe in his mentality yeah yeah no that's that's a great question and it's i i i still i've always believed through my whole engineering career and maybe this comes from being a driver myself, not a good one, but at <laughs> least I had experienced it and done it. You know, I, I, I did some sports car driving and a lot of go-kart driving and stuff. So at least I, I had an appreciation for what good drivers were challenged with doing and what they, you know, what their difficulties were. And I've always thought that if I had a guy like Alan or a good pro driver, you know, I'll throw my kid Colin in there. I think he's, you know, we've worked together for one of the best ever. in the business. And I don't know how, I mean, I know why he's with John and I'm so happy that he is. Cause I'm glad that John's in it, but he should be a, I don't know how he's not a factory prototype driver. It boggles my mind. Why Porsche didn't blow the door down for Colin for their, for Penske. I just, he fits the mold. He's perfect. He's per anyway, yep. sorry, continue. Well, thank you. I happen to agree with you, but, um, <laughs> But that's not unexpected. So anyway, when you get a good pro driver, to me, 
my goal as an engineer has always been not to make the car the best, but to make the car do what the driver wants it to do. Because if it feels like he expects it to feel and like he wants it to feel, mm -hmm. then he can extract the most out of it. If it's not, even though the simulation or the wind tunnel or the shaker rig or whatever data says it should be faster like this, if he doesn't like the feel of it, he's not going to drive it faster. So he needs to have the confidence to haul off into turn one at CTMP and just know it's going to stick and feel right. like he wants it to feel. If So I spend most of my time tuning the car. You asked, is it car or driver? Mm -hmm. I spend most of my time tuning the car to the driver mm -hmm. because then he can get the most out of it. If it's not giving him what he needs, what he feels, the feedback that he needs, he just won't be able to drive it to the best of his ability. And that's what kind of makes sports car racing fun in a way, is you can have two or three different drivers that all need a slightly different thing to get that. And then now you're compromising. And right. you're, you know, I'm lucky with Colin and John, and they've been driving so long together that John has, he likes whatever Colin likes because Colin coaches him and teaches him. And, you know, so he's learning from Colin. And yeah. so that makes sense. So that's and that was an epic interview with Jeff there. Uh, Michael, we'll got more on the way on our 20th episode next week. Yeah. Uh, I just have to say thank you to Jeff. He's been nothing but generous with his time. He's so smart and, uh, and he is really good at explaining complicated things to dumb people like me so thank you jeff i hope everyone enjoyed this one listen to part two please listen to it you won't be upset you'll be able to check out part two on the spotify itunes apple podcast lists in, in our episode database there and on saturdays at 1 p.m on cfmh 107.3 local fm in st john and 102.7 ckms radio waterloo in the region of kitchener waterloo and of course the performance motorsports network on your smart device that just about wraps it up for this edition of wallace see you around the bed folks adios